Chapter Twelve of the Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Kagan. The Boy Scouts on Sturgeon Island by Herbert Carter. Chapter Twelve: A Call to Breakfast. Everyone came tumbling out in a great hurry. The moon was so situated that the fore part of the boat was in somewhat of a shadow. On this account, they could not see plainly, save there was some sort of animal crouching there, as Bumpus had so loudly wailed that it was trying to carry off his prized trout, which had been left hanging in the air until needed at breakfast time. The rest of the boys understood the situation pretty well. Immediately, they started to shout and wave their arms as well as hurl every sort of thing they could lay their hands on. Naturally enough, this proved too much for even the bravest wild beast, and giving a savage snarl, the thing suddenly bounded ashore and was lost to view. They had just a last glimpse of a shadowy figure, sulking off along the sandy beach nearby. "'Oh, tell me, did he get away with it?' cried Bubba's, and to hear the pain which had threw into these words, one would have thought a priceless treasure was involved." And so it was, though, the biggest speckled trout he had ever caught in all his life. Giraffe scrambled forward, waving his arms in order to discourage any beast that might be thinking to attack him and shooing at a vigorous rate. Brace up, Bumpus, he called out. Is it safe? demanded the fat scout joyously. Yes, he didn't dare carry it off when we got to shouting so lively. And here's your trout, but I reckon we'd better take care of it to make it secure the next time. These cats can climb some, and that's right. Was it really a wildcat? asked Stephen, curiously, as though the beast had seemed so large to his excited fancy that he would have felt safe in calling it a panther. Looked mighty much that way to me, admitted Allen, who ought to know the breed, as considerable as his younger life had been spent up in the Adirondacks and in Maine, where he must have seen many a species of this feline tribe. I thought first it was a tiger, Bumpus admitted faintly, at which there was a little laugh all around for they could easily understand how a fellow fears mighty magnified things, when suddenly roused, and only that deceptive moonlight to see by. Whatever it was, we'll try and make sure in the morning, remarked Thad, it's gone now. But it may come back after smelling of my fine trout, Bumpus observed seriously, and rather than running chance, I think I'll have to sit up and play sentry the balance of the night. Joke, chuckled Giraffe, chuckled again, um, maybe... Now you think I couldn't do the same, remonstrated Bumpus. I know I'm a good sound sleeper, which fact I can't deny. But there's such a thing as raising to an occasion, you see. Yes, scoffed the tall scout. If we depend on your staying awake, chances are we'd have no trout for breakfast tomorrow morning. No need of anything like that, remarked the scoutmaster. Because we can fix it so that no wildcat could get that fish. Let him try as hard as he wants. Just you leave it with me, Bumpus, and I'll guarantee that we have fish for breakfast, and without anybody having to stay up either or lose another minute's sleep. He tied a cord to the dangling trout, once more placed where it had been before, and then announced that he meant to fasten the other to his arm. If anything pulled at the fish, it would telegraph the fact down to him, and as Thad took the double-barrel shotgun to bed with him and occupied the place Rumpus had vacated, they understood what the answer was going to be had he been aroused. But evidently the beast thought discretion the better part of valor, for he did not come aboard again that night. Possibly the shouts and the whooping of the boys had given him 
all the excitement he could stand. He liked fish very much, as do all of the cat species, but if he must have a feast of trout, as it looked as though he would have to procure the same in some other way than stealing it from those on board the Chippeway Bell. Strange to say, Bumpus was the first to crawl out, and his labor progressed over his comrades evoked a continual series of grunts and complaints. Hurrah, it's still there, and we ain't gonna be cheated out of our treat after all, he was heard to cry as he gained the open air. Well, here's the first case on record of that fellow ever getting awake ahead of the rest of the bunch, said Stephen. Yes, and he might nearly flatten me into a pancake when he crawled on top of me to get to the door, grunted Giraffe. Say, where's my other shoe? Anybody seen my leather around? I bet you now some fellow just grabbed it up and tossed the same to that pesky old cat last night. And if so, however, I'm to limp around with only one shoe for my both feet because some of the things went into the water, for I heard that splash. If anybody threw it, you did it yourself, Stephen, asserted Giraffe, not liking this thing of being accused of something promiscuously, because I saw something that looked mighty like a shoe in your hand when you crawled out. And why didn't you tell me about it, Giraffe, complained the other, with a doleful groan. I think you're about as mean as you can be to let a poor fellow in his excitement do such a thing. Why, however was I to know, said the tall scout, chuckling as though it struck him as a joke that Stephen in his sudden anxiety to scare the prowler away, should have thrown his own shoe at the cat. Besides, I had troubles of my own. Just about that time, let me tell you. But maybe you can find your old shoe again, because their water ain't so very deep ahead of us there. No need to bother, sang out Bumpus, who was taking his trout down tenderly and examining it to see how much damage the claws of the intruder had done, if any, because there's a shoe right now on the shore, and it's all right. That gave Stephen reason to say he knew he could never have been silly enough to cast his shoe in such a way as to hurl it overboard. But all the same, he was pleased to be able to recover it in a dry condition after all. Who'll clean it when I get the fire started ashore? asked Giraffe presently, when they had finished their dressing. No hurry, remarked Thad, for a while the sun's getting ready to come up and the storm petered out after all. I guess the lake's a little too rough for us to go out for some time yet. Such a big body of water can kick up sea when it gets in the humor. And some of the party don't seem to hanker at that rising and falling motion. Bumpus himself decided to do the last honors to his noble capture. And taking the fish ashore with a hunting knife that had a keen edge, Harry looked for a place to sit down on a rock bordering the little beach. Here he kept industrially at work for quite some time. Meanwhile, the fire was a big success, for Giraffe certainly was a marvel when it came to knowing all there was about making them. He had found just the finest hole to serve as the bed of his cooking fire, where a body of red embers would, after a little while, invite them to place their frying pan and coffee pot on the iron grating they carried for that purpose, and which was really the gridiron-like contrivance belonging to a cast-off stove's oven. I say, Thad, Bumpus was heard calling, after he had plenty of time to finish his job with the trout. What do you want now, Bumpus, replied the scoutmaster cheerily. Come on down here, won't you, and settle something for me? So Thad hastened to accommodate him, and several of the other fellows followed at his heels. Being consumed by curiosity, perhaps, or it might be they suspected something of the truth, and wished to hear Thad's decision in the matter. Now what, asked the scoutmaster as he reached the spot. I wish you could tell me what sort of critter that was last night, Bumpus remarked, as he pointed down near his feet, because he ran along here when he skidded out of the loft, and you can see the print as plain as anything. 
I should say it was a wildcat, but let's ask Allen to make sure, replied the patrol leader. And upon reaching the spot, Allen instantly declared the same thing. At that, Bumpus appeared to be satisfied, and as the trout was now ready for the pan, they adjourned to where the fire was waiting, with a hungry-looking cook in readiness to get things going. Just as they anticipated, that trout was elegant. No other word Bumpus could conjure up would begin to do justice to the feast they had that morning, and the proud captor of the prize cast many a look in the direction of his rival, which, of course, the envious giraffe concluded to mean, See what I can do when I set my mind on a job and get busy yourself? But then Giraffe had just a plenty generous second portion of the salmon-colored fish, and was in no humor to get huffy. He did start in right after breakfast to get several lines out, and intended the same assiduously all morning. Between the busy workers, they managed to pull in five fish, of which Bumpus took two. So thus far, the score was even as regards numbers, though the fat scout was still high-notch when the question of size was concerned. I see that before we get back home, we'll all have swollen heads, Thad remarked with a broad smile, and upon the others demanding to know what he meant, he went on to say that scientists unite in declaring that fish are the greatest brain food going, so if these fellows keep on loading us down with trout and whitefish and every other kind that lives in this big lake, why, our hats will soon become too small for our, our enlarged craniums. Or can we can afford to take the chances of that, laughed Allen. As the winds had gone down, and the waves with it to a considerable extent, it was decided that they might make a start after an early lunch. Thad had consulted his government survey charts and marked a place that he believed would make them a good harbor, and which they ought to reach with any reasonable luck. This being settled, they got under way about half past eleven. And when the little cruiser left the shelter of the cove and once more breasted the rising and falling waves, Bumpus shook his head, and loudly hoped he would not once more have to spend all his time feeding the fishers. But his fear proved groundless, for they apparently became used to the motion of the waves, and not one of them became seasick again that day. End of chapter 12, recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan.